This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Episode number 84 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host and Nick Maxson. Nick Maxson, uh, enjoying some personal time here, I believe, at a wedding uh, this weekend. So congratulations uh, for hanging out, enjoying life, enjoying fun under the sun or the stars. H- how would you explain that? <laughs> I mean, both technically were out. So yeah, uh, here in good old Des Moines, Iowa, uh, spent uh, again three years at Iowa State University. So, a uh, long lost buddy of mine uh, who uh, you know met his bride. So it's uh, we're celebrating that uh, last night, and here we are today. So, uh, congrats to Robin and, and uh, Jared last night on their on their uh, on their wedding. Yeah, it's been a been a long weekend, I think. <laughs> Even though we've been away from uh, the Huskies a little bit, at least in person or in spirit, sort of ish. But nonetheless, we're going to talk about the men's hockey team. A very good weekend for them. Of course, the women's team was off. They've got Ohio State next weekend. We've got a little bit of Minnesota Wild Talk for you, as well as talk around the college hockey landscape. And we're not going to keep you waiting. And we'll head right on to Center ICU News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Episode number 34 here in Noah Center Ice Views and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Uh, again, as we talked about earlier, St. Cloud State taking care of business against a former WCHA foe in the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, got the sweep with two wins by uh, two combined scores of four to one and five to one, respectively. Uh, so nine to two out uh, scoring the Badgers there. Um, and this is their first, uh, excuse me, their last non conference uh, schedule before the first. Uh, NCHC conference schedule gets underway in two weeks. They do have a bye next week before they will travel to Colorado College and have their first ever game at Ed Robeson Arena. Um, that just uh, was uh, unveiled earlier this fall. Uh, meanwhile, again, as you mentioned before, the women's side was in their bye week per se already. So they will be uh, on the road again as well, uh, this time um, in good old Ohio, take on Ohio State. Uh, let's take a little bit uh, of a gander around the college hockey landscape. Uh, Michigan and Western Michigan split their weekend series. Duluth uh, swept the Gophers in the Battle of Maroon and Gold. Uh, Duluth gets the better of the Minneapolis Gophers there. Uh, St. Thomas finally got their first win in Division I history. Um, they knocked off uh, um, 
I'm trying to remember who that was. Ferris State. It was Ferris State. Yep. Thank you very much. And uh, and the reason I mentioned that, Noah, is uh, you know, very nice post-game speech by Rico Blase. Um that was on social media, uh, you know, congratulating his players um, but also more work needed to be done. But that's a good first step uh in that program to uh try to build some momentum here. Uh Colorado College, speaking of the Tigers, they knocked off Boston College, the first ever win under Chris Mayotte, and a North Dakota game split against uh, Quinnipiac. So uh some good battles uh, along this week with St. Cloud uh, may be poised to take a, maybe a jump or two uh, in the standings uh, this weekend after some of the final scores. Uh, we're going to talk Minnesota Wild here real quick. Uh, team four and oh. Um, uh, after uh, they took a, uh, a come behind victory against uh, Winnipeg on Tuesday, a game that I was a part of. And then again, a four to three overtime against the Ducks uh, just last night. Uh, so while they're finding different ways to win, they're able, they're, they're grinding some out, not so many dominant performances yeah. yet, and maybe uh, some defensive foes that are making it a little bit harder themselves. But we'll probably talk a little bit about that later in the show. But uh, still, you can't win them on unless you win the first four. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, on that quick point, it's maybe a little bit of a blessing in disguise that you win four and zero, and you have to come from behind and face some adversity. I think that uh, that's playoff hockey, right? And kind of gets you tested for what is to come potentially during the spring. Uh, speaking of NHL news, Evander Kane suspended twenty one games for his actions using a fake vaccination card for COVID nineteen. Uh, just not smart <laughs> by any means. Uh, the forward was already embroiled in gambling debt. Um, he's going to be ineligible to play until November 30th. So the Sharks were already without him, and they're going to be without him for a little bit longer. It was not uh, not the most ideal thing to do. So uh, follow the rules, kids. Um, otherwise, you get suspended for playing hockey. Anyway, uh, former Boston Bruin Jimmy Hayes, uh, we had mentioned this one about a month and a half ago. He passed away back on August 23rd. Um, some new light coming in that story just quickly um, that a mixture of fentanyl and cocaine was in his system. He was 31 years old when he passed away. So um, a couple of really good stories that have been out on that. So uh, kind of a good lesson for young people, uh, you know, that are, I think it for him, it had, uh, it had essentially started through an injury for him that uh, kind of led to that mixture. So important to uh, be aware of things like that. Uh, lastly, an injury news, Drew Doughty is day-to-day with a knee injury. Ottawa's Shane Pinto is out indefinitely. Columbus's Max Domi will miss two to four weeks with a rib fracture. Jose's Nikolai Kiznov will miss eight to 10 weeks uh, in San Jose there. And Tampa Bay's Nikita Kucherov is on long-term injury reserve after another injury lower body for him. And there's also no timetable for New Jersey's Jack Hughes return after a dislocated shoulder. Once again, welcome into episode number 84. Noah Grant here, joined alongside my co-host and Nick Maxson. Nick, as you had mentioned, uh, kind of an eventful week for both of us, especially you You got to take in that Minnesota Wild hockey game on Tuesday. Um, I mean, we're going to talk about the Minnesota Wild a little bit, but in terms of that, I mean, how was the atmosphere? That was, uh, there are some hockey games that you get a ticket to, you don't know what to expect. Uh, I'd say you got your money's worth on that one. Uh, no question. Uh, it was a, actually a birthday gift from another uh, buddy of mine down here. He kind of, kind of surprised me a little bit a couple of days beforehand. And uh, so that was, that was a nice surprise. Uh, was the atmosphere electric? Yes, it was. Uh, you could tell there was some pent up energy from the fan base 
And uh, I think it also helps to have a, you know, a pretty good team, at least to watch. Um, it wasn't the uh, the cleanest game for either squad, especially for uh, both goaltenders, a couple of, uh, kind of, you know, bad bounces either way, but even though uh, a lot of offense and then again, when you uh, uh, can win it in overtime, I think it's always a thrilling fashion and, uh, you know, a lot of good players to watch from both squads. Uh, Kyle Connor uh, had the hat trick. Uh, and then uh, of course, uh, Jer- Jewel Harris neck did for the Minnesota Wilds. It's a nice opening, uh, uh, game here at the Excel Energy Center, but uh, you know, kind of what you expect pre-pandemic. Um, they definitely yeah. had that feeling. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was a fantastic game. It was a good night for me. I just got involved with uh, fantasy hockey for the first time this year, and I had uh, pretty much that entire Kaprizov line as well as Kyle Connor in my lineup. So it was uh, it was a good night, <laughs> all things considered. Actually, um, as we kind of roll through uh, Saint Cloud State men's hockey, why don't we start with them? A very good weekend for them. We had a trivia question about them, as always. Um, and the question did read, St. Cloud State men's hockey forward Yami Kranela. Um, he currently led the team with seven points entering yesterday's contest against Wisconsin. Who is the only Finnish player in St. Cloud State Division I history to lead the team in scoring? And what year was it? This is uh, this one's easy. As far as the name goes, Cali Kosala. Um, trying to remember, was that 2013? A little bit later, um, it was actually 2015-16. It was actually uh, 15, later, in, later in his career. Um, pretty good, though. He sits sixth all-time, of course, in franchise history. He had 54 points that season. Um, the only finished player to lead St. Cloud State in Division One history um, in scoring after a season. Uh, 153 total points for him in 157 games. So a very great uh, career in a Huskies uniform. Of course, he was with the Toronto Marlies for a little bit, had a stint with the Anaheim Ducks. He's now over in the KHL where Joker it um, in the Continental Hockey League. So Ben Holden. And, uh, is and actually, Ben Holden, actually, a pretty big fan of yeah. watching him play. Yeah, he's, um, a good hockey, he's a good hockey player. I think that's, <laughs> that's safe to say. And speaking of good hockey, men's hockey, like we mentioned, taking care of business, a 5-1 to one win on Friday night and a 4-1 to one win last night, uh, outscoring their opponents by a combined score of 9-2, to two, did the St. Cloud St. Huskies over Wisconsin, a Big Ten foe. Coming out of uh, essentially the non-conference schedule, Brett Larson had mentioned this as well, as the team, you know, they're essentially – uh, you know, six and two, but they're really six, one and one, so to speak, with that extra pairwise point against Minnesota. Uh, he talked about it before we talk about uh, the games themselves against Wisconsin. How important was it for the Huskies to uh, earn that sweep and push themselves right into the NCHG schedule against Colorado College next weekend? Well, I mean, every game is important, right? Especially when you have uh, the level of talent that they faced. I mean, this was a gauntlet of a non-conference schedule. And it wasn't just uh, in-state rivals, but these rivals were ranked. Again, Minnesota State, when they faced them, were number one. Uh, the Gophers were number four. Uh, you know, so it, it wasn't a cakewalk by any means. Uh, and then Wisconsin coming in, they weren't ranked per se, but they they had some folks giving them a look. You know, they, they definitely have shown them in years past that they can have a, a pretty good offense. Um, we had talked last week, knowing that their maybe their biggest uh, question mark was maybe their defense. And I think the score would indicate that um, there was maybe still some trouble on defense for Wisconsin, but uh, also got to give the Huskies credit. They have, uh, they can roll four lines uh, most nights. And when they do, if they're all, you know, contributing that they're a very dangerous hockey team, they just come at you wave after wave. So I got to give the Huskies, you know, uh, some, some credit where it's due as well. So, um, but important. Yeah. You always need points. You want to make sure, especially in non-conference or pairwise is even more important. Um, and more so um, I think the team, when we talked to them on Tuesday um, before uh, coming on the road here, 
uh, to good old state of Iowa. Uh, they feel good. In fact, Brett Larson had mentioned this was, you know, it kind of feels like playoff hockey already. And I think that's exactly what you want early. So you want to get battle tested early, especially going to the NCHEs. You and I both know, Noah, this is a very, very good conference. There's not a team that you can overlook nor sit back. Um, it doesn't matter what the record is. They're going to give you a fits every single time. So uh, this was a very good start to the season, 6-1-1. One and one. You know, as, as Brett Larson had mentioned, I think he's technically correct on that as well. So I'll give them that. Um, but hey, now, now the real season starts. Now you got to go out there and take care of your conference. Uh, but again, game by game. Yeah, it was a very good weekend, uh, you know, and a very good non-conference schedule for the Huskies. And we talked about uh, so much, you know, we didn't know what to essentially expect from this team. You know, we didn't know if, you know, they were going to fall flat on their face, start coming off. We believed in them. We knew what, you know, they were capable of, but you don't really know the on ice product, especially against some really good opponents, Mankato, Minnesota, Wisconsin, until you really get a good look at the Huskies here. And I think that now it's the important to just carry that momentum and get a really good start in the NCAC conference. I would say the Huskies on paper, at least have a favorable schedule heading into the NCHC uh, battles, but nonetheless, I don't know that any matchup in the NCHC is favorable on any given night. No. It's a, definitely a difficult um process as we go through uh you know it's a couple of the players that really stood out we mentioned one actually the trivia question yami cranley he had three points this weekend uh nolan walker with two micah miller a little bit of a mini coming out party for him a guy that i you know gets underrated and i think you know has uh I don't want to say struggle, but just really been a little bit snake bit in terms of his production at times uh, throughout his career. It's nice to see him get on the board because he really is a great hockey player. Uh, and Kevin Fitzgerald, geez, Jeez. boy, what, what, what a big boost it's been to just have him back uh, four points this weekend. And a guy that, uh, you know, he's a great locker room guy. He's absolutely hilarious. If you've ever gotten to sit down and, you know, chat with him. I mean, he just continues to, I mean, be a guy that really is a difference on this hockey team. And, you know, you've been around Kevin, you've seen him uh, obviously off the ice. He brings a lot to the table. What is it on, on the ice that really kind of lends success to him? I mean, I guess from my vantage point, what I see a lot of tenacious play on pucks, he's willing to be the first forward in and create havoc, create opportunities, not afraid to go to the gritty areas. And uh, I think he's, in some senses, the epitome of the grease pan goals mantra that is Dave Shayak. Yeah, but really what he brings is consistency. Um, you know, that all of what you said is great, but he brings that exact game plan every single game, every single shift. I mean, you talk about a guy um, that just does what he's asked to do and he brings it to you every single time he hits the ice. That's what Kevin Fitzgerald actually brings. Yes, um, it's good to have him, like you mentioned, being the first one. He takes great angles. He's on the boards when he battles. He's in the front of the net also, like you mentioned, in those dirty areas, taking a beat down, uh, winning those, you know, stick position and those body position battles, uh, getting rebounds. So, you know, he's creating havoc he does all these small things that you know, we talk about in hockey all the time you know, you know it's those little things that maybe not necessarily find the score sheet but as a player especially in a teammate it's those little things you appreciate a lot and this team definitely um, is better with Fitzgerald in that lineup and it's kind of nice to see him getting the score sheet a little bit too you know because he kind of isn't a guy that I don't think if you were a casual fan would pick him out of the, the, the lineup and say this guy is, a, is an offensive threat he's kind of adding that little bit of a, a twist to, to his, uh, his fifth year um and, and you know i'm really really happy for the kid as you mentioned because he's such a great uh leader in the locker room um great you know uh, emotional supported cast member he's almost like a another coach on the bench so really happy for him that he's getting rewarded for his hard work 
Yeah, David Rennick, uh, a guy that uh, a fifth-year player as well, he got the call on Friday night, did, did his job. And a guy that got the call yesterday, Jackson Castor, stopped into the net and uh, stopped 31 shots in addition as well. Had a very good night, I thought, as well. Um, you know, it just it's nice to have that extra goaltender. And I don't even say I don't even say extra in terms of a condescending way, just having that second goaltender, I should say, that you can go to. Um, but David Rennick has been very good this season. And, uh, um, you know, David has earned that spot, I think so far, but it's nice to see Jackson Caster step in, play a, a good hockey team and a good opponent in the big 10 as well, too. I mean, it's not like he was, um, you know, playing a team that was 58th in the country. I mean, he stopped 31 shots against a very good, um, big 10 opponent. So I'm um, important for him to, um, get that confidence boost, I think a little bit and feel like, yeah, you know, I'm ready to go this season as well, too. And just a small point on that too, Noah, you know, as far as the goaltending trio that the Huskies have, you know, again, Joey Lamaru as well, you know, Renick is going to need a nine off uh, here and there. There's no question about that. Um, I would probably think that was more than likely the case, but how good is it that Brett Larson can reach down, you know, to Jackson Caster slash Joey Lamaru and feel confident that, you know, you can win the hockey game and Jackson Caster, when we've seen him in, you know, parts of the last couple of seasons, he's looked pretty good um, in between the pipes. Um, so that's, it's nice to have um, a quality uh, goaltender uh, depth in your, in your roster, because again, you just, uh, unfortunately injuries can happen, you know, yeah. and again, as David Redick, uh, he's been marvelous so far to start this season, but at some point he's going to need to take a breather. And it's nice to know that you can almost do a one, a one B on your roster and, probably even one C honestly, um, and be able to feel confident no matter who's in between the pipes that you have a chance to win the hockey game. Yeah. And obviously NCAA tournament time is a little different than uh, the NHL playoffs, but nonetheless having that one, a one B a second goaltender that you can go to, like you mentioned is important. And even a third goaltender, I think on this roster, as you had mentioned that you can go to, I mean, all three of these guys, they're a lot closer on paper than I think the lineup card sometimes shows, um, you know, and obviously they're playing for one of the best uh, teams in college hockey as well, too. So very competitive um, and very competitive on the ice. Jackson Castor, like we mentioned, doing his job last night. The one point of emphasis that I think um, does need to be touched on a little bit from this weekend. And Brett Larson had mentioned it uh, a little bit on Friday, I believe. A little bit of discipline trouble for this team, though, this weekend. That was the one thing that kind of stood out is a, a little bit of penalty trouble. Um, you know, they give up uh, some special teams advantages there. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was a shorthanded goal uh, that uh, Wisconsin had scored um, during the weekend as well, too. And, I, uh, you know, when you talk about special teams, for example, the games that I were working this weekend, Friday night's contest saw 92 penalty minutes and 22 infractions and nobody scored on the power play. So uh, it kind of tells you how that game went as far as <laughs> the penalties were concerned. But if you're the Huskies, you're a team that pay, plays with speed, you're a team that plays with skill. Um, you're starting to infuse that grittiness into your game. That's been the difference maker. I think from, you know, Dave Shyak and company that kind of starts with him and moves on, on down. How do you make sure that this group is riding the line the right way? And we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, to, to talk about a guy that maybe was in the box a little bit earlier in the year, um, Jack Pierce, who of course missed Saturday's contest with injury. Um, you know, those are sometimes part of the growing pains of a new team or a young group, um, you know, guys maybe chasing the game a little bit, or just maybe being out of position just a little bit. Um, is that, is this more a case of, you know, the team still trying to kind of adjust to their identity a little bit, or, or what are you seeing in terms of the special teams play? Um, uh, the penalty kill, I think has looked great for the most part. Um, but obviously you want to stay out of the box. Well, no question. You don't want to give the, you know, your, your opponent, any upper hand, you know, anytime, you know, 
especially when you're favored, right? Um, I think the Huskies, I think we can rightfully say they were favored in this matchup. Um, but yeah, but don't try to go hand in them freebies, right? Um, and more so to your point, um, from a hockey perspective, um, when Rhett Larson is, when we talked about it before, his team is most successful when he's rolling four lines. Your lines get juggled. You get guys that are tired and more so you also get guys that don't see the ice um, when you're uh, on the penalty kill. There's just guys that just simply don't kill penalties for you. So it does kind of, you know, mess up your timing, your, your kind of your strategy or line combinations. It, it definitely throws a wrench into it. Um, and more so, like you said, you know, is this a, is it one or the other? I, I don't know if it's chasing the game, um, I would say maybe against Wisconsin's a little bit of laziness, honestly. Um, but you know, like you said, you know, you don't want to, um, it, it's good that Brett Larson is acknowledging that because that's just how the attention to detail is coaching staff is again, it's, you know, people are, you could probably say, well, why is he upset? You know, they won five to one four to when he, he handed these guys, but still, you know, he knows. And I think this team knows, you know, starting in two weeks when you travel to CC, it's playoff hockey again, you know, those kind of mistakes, especially against Colorado college, which is undergoing a little bit of a transformation, but they're a team that's given the Huskies fits. Um, there's, a, there's a team that, you know, just the way the structure used to be, again, we don't know what their structure is going to look like right now uh, under Chris Mayop, but historically they've been kind of a defensive first team. If they get a lead on you and you keep handing them uh, power play opportunities, you know, they'll start to frustrate you. And then, that's when frustration penalties come out. Then you make the game, you know, you don't want to make that mountain harder to climb on yourselves, you know, by taking away maybe an arm. So um, it's important. Um, I think the Huskies, you know, again, special teams is always part of the conversation, I think are, are decent, but you know, if you can try to avoid, especially being shorthanded, obviously a better way to go. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the CC uh, contest. We're going to talk about that in a second. Only a couple more things here for the men's hockey group. As you mentioned, uh, the Huskies with a week off this weekend before they head down to Colorado college um, there. Uh, speaking of uh, changes uh, in terms of lineups and things like that, obviously we mentioned uh, Jack Peart was out of the lineup on Saturday, as well as Sam Hench is a guy who had just returned from injury thought looked very well. I'm um, got on the score sheet a couple of times uh, in Friday's contest, but uh, you know, wasn't able to return on Saturday. Um, the other guy that, uh, uh, was kind of in that mix was actually Nolan Walker. He was able to return actually at a point last night as well. Um, you know, when we talk, especially about Sam Henches, uh, you know, how big is it for him to just maybe find that consistency injury wise? Obviously you can't predict the way that things have happened, but I mean, this is kind of what we saw with Sam a couple of years ago where he just, you know, he had that tough injury, wasn't able, he's kind of snake bit when he came back, he was playing well, just wasn't able to get on the score sheet. And the biggest thing as a player that you want is consistency in any way, shape or form. You want to be able to feel that normal routine. Obviously COVID last year, I think doesn't help anybody with that, but this year, um, you know, coming back, he plays well, he gets hurt. He comes back, he plays well, he's hurt again. Hopefully uh, the two weeks of rest will do him good and he'll be able to be back in the lineup against Colorado College. But what does Sam Hentges bring to this lineup when he's playing well? For me, I think he's, uh, he kind of reminds me of uh, Zach Okabe in a sense where he's kind of a buzzsaw and a guy that's hard on four checks, a guy that plays with speed through the neutral zone, a great transitional hockey player, but it's just been difficult for him, you know, obviously um, with the injury bug. I think for Sam, you know, for him, his number one priority, you know, yeah, consistency you want every player, but I think, you know, and you, you all have to wonder, I think the, the bigger question is, you know, when we look back at his history with injuries, you know, when he comes back, right. You know, there's that, you know, age old hockey question and rarely for any sport, how healthy really was he, you know, is he, was he at a hundred percent? Probably not. Was he, you know, the type of injury some are 
easier to play through than others. Um, and some injuries, maybe you can play through it, but they still maybe hamper what you can bring as far as your tools in the tool chest. Um, so if, for Sam, you know, what might be best for him is, you know, if the two weeks don't do it again, I would say keep him out of the lineup. I think for him, he's got to get a hundred, you know, as close to hundred percent as you can. There's no question that, you know, he wants to play. There's no question. Brett Larson wants him in the lineup. There's no question that he adds that spark, as you mentioned, offensively on the four check transitional, he's really good. But if he can't utilize those tools in his toolbox to the, you know, to his fullest extent, um, and it's going to hurt him maybe long-term, then I, I think you really have to take a look at, you know, what this injury is with him. And, and maybe it's, you know, just time to rest it up. Um, you, you know, you don't do yourself any favors um, off the ice either. Cause again, some of these injuries, you talk about the pro athletes, you know, you can have, you know, these injuries start to get compounded and then, you know, you're talking, you know, much worse consequences just from a, your personal body standpoint. So I think for Henches, it's really important to get him as you know, as getting him healthy because we you know when Sam Hedges is healthy, we saw him early in the season. He's a heck of a hockey player. And uh, when he's, you know, banged up and he's injured, he's just not the same player. So to me, uh, two weeks are going to be huge. So see, you know, again, we don't know what the fullest extent of his injury, hopefully it's something where rest can help. And if not, I would say it's going to be one of those tough conversations. And if I'm Brent Larson, try to get him healthier. And that means maybe missing some more time. Yeah, you talk about uh, getting healthy. Uh, they have that period of rest, as you had mentioned, as they preview Colorado College. Boy, Nick, you look at this CC team. We talked about it might take a couple of years for them to make the jump. They've uh, they've held par with a lot of teams in the college hockey world, knocking off number 10 Boston College last night, a one to nothing loss for them against number 20 Northeastern. They're they're not a bad hockey team. And one of the things I want to one of the things I want to point out here as you go back through their schedule, Nick, uh, only twice during the season have they given up three goals. Um, which is important. Let me let me run you through the schedule here because obviously we're very short in the season. Uh, they had Air Force for their opener. They lost by a two to one score, a two to one loss at St. Lawrence, and then a one to one tie for them in that weekend. Union College they had a loss and a tie, a two to one loss and a three three tie for them, and then. Getting in that win column, number 10, Boston College, a 5-3 win. Um, you know, what a fantastic win for them against a, a big-name opponent. And then uh, Northeastern, I mean, they're one shot away from tying that hockey game last night as well, too. They've got Air Force next weekend uh, for um, a two-game set before they face uh, the St. Cloud State Huskies. Um, it's going to be a home-and-home home against Air Force for them, of course. Don't forget Air Force, one of the few East teams, quote-unquote, uh, that is actually out West, out in Colorado, so to speak. So, um. Nick, uh, Chris Mayotte, I, I would say he's put his stamp on this club fairly early as a strong defensive team, which I think Colorado College by nature always has been, but a team that's finding a little bit of offense, a little bit of consistency, keeping opponents at least uh, within check, if not beating them. Uh, what do the Huskies have to look forward with this Colorado College group? Well, when I asked, uh, you know, their captain, Brian, you know, media day, you know, what have you, are you guys going to be different? And obviously didn't get into specifics, but he goes, yeah, we're going to be different. Um, we're not going to be um, essentially he used not necessarily the trap team, uh, but I think they are still going to be opportunistic per se. I think you're going to see um, a little bit more um, aggressive on the four check and maybe a little bit more in the neutral zone where um, it's a little bit more man pressure. Um, and again, I think Grace Mayotte knows with what he has right now, you know, obviously the, the, maybe the offensive depth from the squad isn't, you know, necessarily, uh, very deep. So you have to win close hockey games and, you know, you just read out the scores, the very close games or low scoring games. And if you're Colorado college with your makeup, currently that is your recipe to win. Uh, we know that 
CC in historical presences has had a stingy defensive stance. Uh, they can give everybody fits, including the broadcasters. So um, at, at the end of it, and then, you know, that's, that's, that, that's a compliment to them. Honestly, it is a compliment because um, again, even uh, you know, with uh, the Huskies, you know, remember they used to play when Broadmoor, it was an Olympic sheet now with Ed Robeson, it is now down to an NHL sheet. So, you know, they have, I think the smaller space and like over time will actually benefit them. Um, you know, especially with the way that they're going to play in, you know, probably two, three years time. But uh, yeah, again, you know, CC is going to, they're a type of team that makes you beat themselves, you know, makes you beat yourself, honestly, um, because you just get frustrated, especially if you're not producing offense. Um, so you, tr- you, you kind of start to get away from your game plan a bit. And that's when CC tends to capitalize is when, um, you know, you start getting away from what makes you successful as a hockey team. So, uh, you know, don't overlook CC again, close matchups um, again, low scoring affairs. Um, the good news is the Huskies have had tested, you know, uh, been tested in some games early in the season that are like that. Um, and they showed poise, but they're going to have to continue to uh, show that poise again as we get into the NCHC uh, regular season schedule here. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about the regular season, Nick, we've got uh, we've got college hockey left on the docket here, and we've got uh, some Minnesota Wild hockey. We've got about 13 minutes left. Um, I, I'm kind of thinking maybe we'll talk some college hockey. I think that might be a little bit more fitting, if that's all right. Sure. Um, I, let's start with the big one this weekend. And, of course, obviously the St. Cloud State Huskies in our mind are always the big one, but the one that everyone had their eyes on and boy, was it a heck of a series. Uh, that's the home and home, uh, Western Michigan and Michigan, number one in the country, the Michigan Wolverines. This Western Michigan group, I, I, I know people have really kind of slept on them coming into the season, but I think I, th- I think people are going to be picking up their ears now. And uh, um, like you mentioned, we've had them pegged as a team that I think we had them finishing third actually in the NCHC. So uh, um, very much possible um, winning on Friday night and then a three to two loss. I was a two to two hockey game that went right down to the wire in Kalamazoo last night. So um, this Western, Western Michigan team, and let's talk about Michigan too. Um, for the record, they're young, but they're a deadly, deadly group. I mean, what do both of these teams bring to the table moving forward? And I guess f- for our college hockey discussion, if we had to ask, are the teams performing at par, below par, or above par, what would you say for each squad? So I'll start with Michigan. Uh, yeah, holy heck. Um, when you take <laughs> a look on paper, this is an incredibly talented team. And as our good friend Brett Holden would say, um, one of the more talented teams that's ever been put together. They're in loaded. Ice. They're <laughs> loaded. Um, but again, no, are they experienced? Not so much. Um, so I think regular season, you're going to see them, you know, have success. I think, you know, they have a shot to, uh, to win the big 10, um, along with Minnesota, but, uh, when it comes to playoff time, right, that's where this team's really going to have the spotlight over them. You know, this is where, you know, does the inexperience, you know, is it, uh, does the talent outweigh, um, being tested in the playoffs? And so they'll have to answer that bell. And that's, and that's when you talk about this weekend, by the way, that's where a series like this is huge for them. I think it's important to, you know, not be winning games five to one and walking over opponents, having that adversity, maybe losing a game here or there. Um, the St. Cloud State Huskies know this very well from a couple of years ago. It's important for a team that's high up in the standings uh, to go through that adversity and see what that feels like. So when they get to a game like the Huskies did last year against Colorado College and you get scored on from center ice, you don't panic, you relax and you move on. Well, and, and, and to that, you know, it is early, right? So, I mean, you know, talk about, you know, every team, you know, the Huskies are maybe one of the few that didn't have, you know, the great turnover, you know, as far as roster is concerned, but most teams do. So you're still trying to find the chemistry. You're still trying to find out, 
you know, what everybody's all about in your line, you know, obviously coach and trying to get the system sound. So you can't put too much stock into it, honestly. But, you know, if you're Western Michigan, if you want to flip the script here, um, this was a flag in the sand moment for them that, you know, they are for real. And again, as we talked about, I think actually, Noah, when we look back, uh, we had Western Michigan finishing fifth uh, because we had Duluth second, North Dakota third. And then I think we had Omaha fourth, but I will say this, that we've made it very clear that that third through almost sixth spot um, was, it could basically fall any number of ways. Right. And it was really, really tough uh, at least looking at them right now, or I should say before the season to really know what, who's going to go where um, just because everybody was so close. So, and I, again, I could be wrong on that standings, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter now. Right. So uh, Western, again, uh, we, they had, um, the offense, um, they, they, they come at you, right. They, they are a team that plays heavy. They, they play hard. Um, and if they can find a little bit of that scoring touch, I mean, this is a dangerous hockey team because in the, and similar to the Huskies, they just come at you in waves. They don't really have any weakness up front. They got a top 12, not a top nine, not a top six. They got a top 12 that, you know, maybe the top six are the scorers, but their bottom six know their role. They, and they, they embrace their role too. They know exactly what they're out there to do, um, you know, to keep other teams, you know, uh, off the board. And their defensive core is mobile. They're also heavy and hard as well. And uh, they got a good goaltender also in between the pipes. So uh, Western Michigan showing that, you know, in that first battle um, up there, you know, in the, between those two squads that are, are looking to make their mark in the NCAA, that uh, uh, Western Michigan is not going to be a team to look over. And, you know, we have it for sure. And uh, I think the rest of the hockey world is now on notice for that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would, I would agree 100% with your sentiments there. And uh, this, uh, this Western Michigan group, I mean, they're just, we talked about them even last year, not a group that you wanted in the second half and they gave the Huskies fits. They gave Duluth fits. We're going to talk about Duluth here in a second. Uh, the NCHC, as we look around North Dakota, earning a split against Quinnipiac, those are two, I would say pretty evenly matched teams. As far as that matchup was concerned, a couple of other scores to kind of take a look at Bowling Green, six Miami four. great to see Miami score um, some goals against a pretty decent opponent. I don't, know that Bowling Green has the strength they had in years past, um, but they're still a good hockey team and good for Miami to push the issue. They're just not able to get over the hump last night. I, you know, before we get to that Minnesota, Minnesota loose series, the one team that I wanted to talk about, Nick, I, uh, Denver, uh, kind of a running gun game against Providence. I, uh, they lose five to one last night against Boston college, kind of an up and down season again. I mean, you know, they were sub 500 for the first time in NCHC history. Um, last year is this going to be another year of heartache for the denver pioneers or are they going to find a way to write the ship i think they will write the ship honestly um I, and again you know talking um with david carl um nchc he uh, i don't know if he would say it was an excuse but i i know that the covid um schedule the way that they had to run things um he knows that they they were not all on the same page per se. And he, he, he acknowledged that probably hurt them in their production. I don't think that, you know, obviously this it's going to be, but again, it's early, right? These are non-conference opponents uh, for the most part. And again, early in the season, especially, you know, two, three weeks in, you're still trying to find your feet a little bit. I'm not too concerned about Denver. Um, but what I am concerned about Denver is holy heck. And they, if they score, they're scoring in bunches. Yeah. So if it, if you're, if you're an NCHC opponent looking at Denver and uh, you know, I think we've always pegged Denver as a team that's always had, and you know, some offense to give uh, last year, they really didn't show it. And if they did um, you could score just as much on them. So I think for, for Denver, it's more about writing the ship defensively. And if that's going to be their key to really start um, earning, you know, some of those high counts, 
caliber wins. But uh, yeah, again, Denver's a team you can't sleep on either. Um, I think they've got the talent pool, especially up front defensively and especially in that they get a heck of a goaltender. So let's have to kind of see what, what they do, but I think they will write the ship. I just don't think it's early. Yeah. Looking around at some other Minnesota teams of a Bidji state, a four to three win against Northern Michigan. They're a group that kind of has that sneaky skill. Once again, I've liked Bemidji's game. And again, we talk about teams that, you know, they're not blowing opponents out of the water. I think that just bodes well as they go into tournament time. I think Bemidji, I think they make the NCAA tournament this year. Obviously it's very early, but I think their trend continues as such. And if so, I think they're going to be a dangerous out. I mean, we saw that last year, but I think they have a chance to go even deeper the way that they play just because they play a playoff brand of hockey. They kind of remind me of the CCHA's version uh, the poor man's Western Michigan, if you will, in some senses, the way they play. So um very, uh, very excited to see some of those Minnesota teams doing well in the CCHA. Uh, also St. Thomas, their first ever win in division one program history against fair state five to two, was the final score in that one uh nick um before we get to that big gopher series uh how big is it for st thomas and this program to finally get uh get a win under their belt and really start that train rolling you know that they always talk about you know it's like anything in life it's you know once you get the first one of the way you know then it, it, it the rest will start coming right it's that first step um, well that certainly get... didn't happen with this podcast but everything right, else no. i think is <laughs> no <laughs> um uh but to your you know but to that point though right it's always i i think it looms over you until it happens and i and i think you know obviously even the coaching staff to the players you know it's always you just kind of want to get that out of the way now that they have i think that'll kind of take a little pressure off their shoulders too just to you know, I guess it's kind of just so it's, that's one less thing you have to talk about. Um, but again, as we mentioned the Rico, um, he's not so worried about the win loss record with this club. He's preaching that, you know, let's just get better every day. You know, this is how we're going to win. He's a great leader. As we, when I got that chance to talk to them prior to the St. Thomas game, I went with the Herb. He's a very eloquent, very intelligent, very great hockey coach. He's a guy that really cares about his players really and cares about the game. Um, give that man time. And St. Thomas is going to, I would say in two, probably three years. No, it's, it's always, you know, when you kind of hit that stride, but he, he's the definitely the right man for the job. I really respect Rico Blase as a human being. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, back to your point, you know, now that they got one, now they can go to the other. So it's huge, you know, good to get, mm-hmm. get it out of the way and build some confidence for that squad. Yeah. And we talk about, uh, obviously we're back to a more normal schedule, so to speak. I, <laughs> It might sound cheesy as heck, but Nick, I mean, you're playing for the February March hockey. St. Thomas is still a team that gets a kick at the can in the CCHA or, you know, or something like that, you know, coming off of that, trying to make a national tournament. I mean, you can always be a disruptor in some way, shape or form. It doesn't matter where you're at as far as those things are concerned. Uh, A team that I wanted to mention too, by the way, that, uh, um, I think has gone well under the radar of Huskies hockey fans knocked off Ohio state a couple of weeks ago, just lost to Holy cross last night in the Atlantic hockey league. Uh, that's uh, that's Bentley. Uh, they're a team that uh, you're kind of like Bentley. Um, they're a team that I think you just keep an eye on them. They've been kind of a disruptor in the Atlantic hockey and surrounding big 10 area world. Um, so there's a team to look at um, Boston university. How about this one? An eight to six score last night against Merrimack. That's a, <laughs> that's a high scoring hockey game, but uh, less than high scoring Minnesota Duluth, Minnesota, but the Bulldogs, the all important double win. Um, I think the Huskies might've been in line for a similar fate. Uh, you know, if they hadn't been, uh, you know, pulled back into the room, so uh, to speak. Uh, uh-huh. Anyway, I uh, Duluth, they're a team that we picked to finish second 
in the NCHC, maybe even first, I think. I think we had them pick first, and Ben Holden said, no way, Jose. But nonetheless, uh, kind of gratuitous, I think, if we pick our own team. But nonetheless, Minnesota Duluth, uh, they're a team that I think will be a top four team. A lot of people talked about that they're losing a couple of bodies, that they're not going to be the same team that they were. Uh, well, they just took uh, a top five, top 10 team in the country uh, in the Minnesota Golden Gophers and uh, showed them uh, who who is now uh, not little brother anymore in that matchup for sure. No question. And uh, on the other podcast that I'm on, the Soda Pod, um, I actually thought the Gophers were going to have the upper hand of that matchup. Um, just offensively, I thought, you know, they move the puck very well. They're very quick. They cycle well. Uh, but there is one thing I mentioned in the podcast, too. If Duluth is going to win uh, a game or the series, if they were going to do it from defensive play, and Scott Salmon is a mastermind at getting you into step, uh, defensive structure. And if you look at the scoreboards and both those matchups, that's exactly how they did it. Um, yeah, 2-1 no last night. And has Scott Salmon had success in the NCAA tournament recently with that formula? Uh, I mean, a couple national championships, but I mean, who cares about that? So, uh, right. No, but you know, he's, he's a, he's a coach that knows his opponent and he gets his players to buy into what they have to do to win hockey games. And, you know, as you, as you and I both know, as former players, you can't play every team the exact same way. Can you keep the overall structure and the overall identity of the team the same? Yes. But do you have to maybe attack certain teams slightly differently? Yeah. And for the Gophers, you definitely had to attack them a little bit differently. I think the Huskies in game one on Friday, um, had a defensive clinic against the Gophers, uh, you know, in terms of a team that is really anxious to shoot the puck and maybe sometimes anxious. So if you got the shot lanes that are really just coming to the outside, um, most of their high flying offense really couldn't do much. And it was long shots. They were easy shots for a goaltender, David Wright to handle. So there is a formula out there to beat the Gophers. Um, I think we're starting to see um, other teams kind of pick up on that as again, more film is coming out throughout the season and you break that down. And uh, uh, again, Scott Salen, again, that program just continued to impress every single time, especially against that offense of Minnesota. It was interesting when you said there's a formula for success to beat the Gophers. I Caleb Peabody's voice popped into my head as always. And it was, yeah, it's simple score more goals than them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that just that right away, but nonetheless, I mean, um, two very good hockey programs. Obviously it's nice to see Duluth. I mean, they were, uh, especially in the late nineties, early two thousands, they were a team that the Gophers uh, essentially manhandled, so to speak. And uh, um, then we're maybe considered kind of like a gopher, gopher light team. Um, I don't think that they're in that category anymore. I mean, they're obviously no. two national championships uh, lens or credence three, I should say um, lens credence to that. Um, but there no could have more. been a third one last year too. Yeah, exactly. In a, in a row. To, yeah, exactly. Know. Yeah. And they were undefeated uh, at the NCAA tournament level for whatever it was like almost 1700 days with the stoppage and COVID and everything like that. So uh, a very impressive run for them. Nick, uh, we're just coming up on time here. Was there any other team that you felt like you wanted to talk about in the college hockey world before we move on over? I think there's one team that we haven't talked about. And it's a team that I know Huskies fans don't like. So how about North Dakota? Yeah. Um, and the reason why it's important to talk about Nodak is, you know, it's funny when Nodak is a dangerous team, we always talk about them. When they're even just slightly underneath, all of a sudden it's like, wait, oh yeah, North Dakota, they, they yeah. have a hockey team. Um, <laughs> don't sleep on them either, right? Uh, North Dakota, um, a lot of turnover in their roster. A lot of them, again, TNHL contracts. Let's, let's remind ourselves that. Um, but again, Brad Barry is a heck of a developer. He's part, uh, you know, the coaches network along with uh, uh, Dave Starman, another good friend of the podcast. Um, these, uh, these coach, this coach knows how to develop players. And I think especially with the level of talent they recruit and the talent level they have, especially coming in this season, um, when they hit the stride and they will watch out for North Dakota. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some couple of battles you mentioned um, early for them in this season, but again, that's more growing pains for me. I'm very curious how this team's going to look in the NCHC regular season. We're going to start to see that I think next week. Um, so, but again, North Dakota, always a, a thorn in the Husky side uh, and maybe just some of the, uh, the fans side as well, just because they travel so darn well. You got to love them for that. Honestly, um, they, they make it fun. Um, but I've decided that, you know, uh, the green and black, uh, again, maybe not necessarily the top echelon team, um, but a team that, again, you cannot ever, ever take lightly because, um, you know, their talent alone can give you a lot of heart, a lot of trouble. You know, the, the thing with North Dakota, too, I mean, they split with Quinnipiac, who Quinnipiac is no slouch of a hockey team either. I mean, it's not like no. they split with a team that, uh, you know, they maybe should have handled. I mean, Quinnipiac is, is a very good team. They showed that last year in the tournament, obviously uh, running into a wall, I believe, against Mankato in that game. Thought they had that one locked out, and then uh, suddenly they didn't. Um, you know, and I was kind of trying to go back here to take a look real quick, if I can, against North Dakota, kind of seeing where the Huskies were. Um, the Huskies uh, losing the last two matchups, but winning the two previous matchups before that, and then a tie before that. So it really has been a back and forth series to see, you know, as of late, I mean, you've got <laughs> from 2002 onward, I mean, it's just when you look at the schedule, green means a win, red means a loss, and a tie has nothing in between. And I see a lot of reds, greens, and grays all over the board, Nick. I mean, it's um, it's a very good matchup uh, for the Huskies, and they're going to get them, you know, kind of later in the season-ish, kind of around that uh, Christmas break mark, moving into January. Um, so, I mean, like you mentioned, a lot of time and tune-up time uh, for the big dogs uh, from North Dakota to um, get rolling once again. And I definitely agree. Um, and hey. Maybe if there's, there's, there's a game in Grand Forks, maybe I'll end up seeing you there. We'll have to see. I don't maybe know. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, so. I don't know if I can sit in a sea of green for that long, but nonetheless. <laughs> or it even come close to the building, right? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nonetheless, uh, that will do it for the main portion of our show. Stick around for the extra ice session. Uh, again, this week, we're going to talk about some Minnesota Wild Hockey. Nick Max was at that game, like he had mentioned, against Winnipeg. We're going to touch on that as well as the Anaheim series. And uh, what has been successful and not so successful for this Minnesota Wild Club? And welcome into the Extra Ice Session. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host, Nick Max. And Nick, pleasure to have you here. And uh, it was a pleasure to have you at the game on Tuesday. You sent me some pictures uh, from uh, the Excel Energy Center playing Winnipeg on Tuesday. Uh, just a raucous, topsy-turvy game. You had an overturn offside call uh, that led to a game-tying opportunity and decision. A 6-5 to five win, a 3-on-1, essentially in overtime. Jewel erickson with the game winner. And then uh, last night on Saturday, Brandon Duheim gets his first goal in a Minnesota Wild sweater. Ryan Hartman with the overtime winner and another kind of pseudo come from behind victory, if you will, against the Anaheim Ducks. Nick, let's start with Tuesday because you were there. What did you see from this group? And I guess the bigger question for me is, is Minnesota wild hockey, can we say it's finally fun to watch? Is yeah. that fair? Yeah, that's fair. You know? um, yeah, it's much more fun just because you have players now like Kevin Fiala, Kirill Kaprizov, and even Jules Erickson X trying to get into yeah. that category too, where every time that they're on the ice and they have the puck, that's like you're just anticipating seeing something, right? Uh, Kaprizov, speaking of Tuesday's game, I think they win the opening draw. And he goes around the defender and Darren their scores like about to 11 seconds of the hockey game. Uh, it's just, it's insane. What kind of skill that that kid has? It really isn't just how calm he is when he does it. It just, you know, it's, it goes back to the Mikey, that was it the Matt Anderson move like in Los Angeles last year where he did, you know, kind of took him to the inside out move. And, um, you know, he doesn't look like he's 
force, you know, it just looks like he's just going around uh, somebody that, you know, like a, a little cousin on the, you know, the outdoor ice. It's just like, well, I'll just scoot around goodbye. Um, but back to the game on Tuesday, right? Um, first of all, Kyle Connery, he had a nice little coming out party. He scored the first yeah. two goals for Winnipeg. A um, couple of bad bounces against Cam Talbot. Um, if there's, if there's one, trend we're noticing about this Minnesota wild club is um, they are resilient, which is a darn good thing to see. Um, And they have the character and they have the skill to come back in hockey games. I think in years past, you know, you get down to nothing early, especially a team like Winnipeg. And I know Winnipeg maybe isn't the same team. They were without Blake Wheeler in that hockey game too, which is huge for them, especially down the middle and up front. Uh, You know, this is a team where I don't think we had a lot of confidence that they could come back, especially down early. Right. We did. They just kind of, I wouldn't say roll over and play dead, but they just didn't seem to have it jump, um, have that ability to come back. And that's kind of been the theme so far for the first four games um, of this season is, you know, they've been having to come back. Now, as you mentioned, Noah, um, earlier is, you know, is that a good thing? Yeah. Is it also a bad thing? Kind of too. You know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily like the fact that I, I don't think they have scored the first goal yet this season. Um, they, they've been 0-4 in that. So that's good that they're mm-hmm. coming back, but also you kind of like to see teams. Uh, and I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, still some things to figure out in terms of lines. And I know Dean Evison is, is never shy about mixing and juggling his lines uh, but more defensively. Um, you like to see them actually, get on top and then try to hold it too. Um, I, I haven't really quite seen that from them yet, but overall the team plays fast to play aggressive, um, you know, and again, for, for the most part, um, even with, uh, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to rattle some wild fans. I think Matt Dumba has taken strides in his game uh, yeah. with Jonas Brodine. I think that's, you know, probably the perfect pairing for him, um, you know, as we see forward. And uh, yeah, no, this team was fun to watch. And uh, that I sides call there going back to Tuesday, I thought after watching it, I'm like, it's such a small margin. I really thought that they were going to let that stand. Honestly, um, I, I, you know, again, they, you have the the cameras in the blue line, but I, at first I'm like, you know what, we'll watch it, see what happens. And when they called it back, I was actually quite shocked. I was uh, quite shocked. But then again, the the tip out of midair by Erickson Eck to tie it. And then two on one for Winnipeg. And then as you know, in overtime in hockey, if you get an odd man chance one way, if there's an odd man chance going back the other yeah. way. And you need a save. Yeah. You need to save and can tell it. He made the save we needed to three on one for, uh, uh, for the wild as, uh, again, Zuccarello, Kaprizov, right back to heck and just perfectly placed and Connor Hellebuck, just really nothing much you can do in that situation. And just a perfectly one touch pass play, uh, between those three forwards and, uh, able to, I don't know if you want to call it steal that win in overtime, but you're able to earn yourself, you know, a nice home opener win there against the jets. Well, I mean, it's kind of a, a case of you're playing with house money, right? When you get that call coming back and you just, you kind of throw the kitchen sink and hope for the best, a, a weird fluky goal. I mean, that's the type of goal you score to tie a game though. You know, is obviously you generally don't bat them out of the air, but just traffic and chaos in front, you never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, I, I was kind of curious real quickly, Nick, um, with that offside call, uh, what kind of views do you just have the views kind of that we have on the, uh, watching the TV broadcast in the building? I mean, um, was it a little bit different to kind of, um, game perspective of what that play looked like until you got home or was it pretty evident from the camera angles they had in building that you saw because I think to the to the objective fan and obviously the NHL has a little bit more views especially on the opposite side of the bench I think than we do and I'm sure they played it back frame by frame with multiple looks um did you did you go back and finally say okay yeah that was probably outside did you see it in the building or, or are you still kind of convinced that it was, it was a little bit tighter than, than one would think. 
So <clears throat> we talk about this with camera angles because, you know, we, we actually had a segment during the summer on this, you know, well, you know what was it? The one uh, moment that still ticks you off as uh, a fan base or maybe. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And that was the parallax angle, right? So the parallax angle, again, you know, it plays dividends in these situations too, right? If you're, if your camera is off center of something, you're trying to go from a line judge, it may look like, Hey, it's either onside or offside, but the reality is it's not on the line. We have no idea, <clears throat> excuse right. me, but again, the NHL and the hits booth, right? There is angles that the NHL only has access to and the broadcasters do not. So at the end of it, there's that blue line camera that's right there. <clears throat> well, I never saw it. They never replayed that inside the building. Sure. And that's, that's, you know, by design, of course, yeah. um, especially, in, and it was a close play. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure with the NHL, again, that the rule with the NHL is if they, if it's call on the ice is a goal, there has to be, you know, evidence to overturn it, which yeah. means they had to see something that said, Hey, that skate was fully inside of the meat and probably a little bit of white paint in between. Um, and the puck was still on the line. So I, I think just judging by just the way that the procedural is supposed to go, right. That, that angle probably was their best angle and it probably showed them at least in my opinion, that it was indeed offside. Um, and for folks who, um, and this is kind of the quirkiness of the rule, right? You know, because when yeah. you're, when you're already kind of, when you're a player without the puck and you straddle the blue line, right? You're technically onside. Yet when the puck carrier, completely different, the puck's got to be in first. And Thomas Vanek actually has been, uh, been caught guilty of this, where he sort of as a right-hander, when he's been on his, on the left side, he tries to kind of curl in, right? And he actually backs his skates in to the line previously before he catches the puck. And that is an offside play. Well, so, well yes and no. Um, the, the difference is you actually, as the puck carrier, you actually can enter in backwards, but you have to have full, clear, clean possession of the puck, which is a which weird... Which at times he didn't. Yeah, <laughs> which is a weird caveat to that rule, which I don't understand that one in, in general, to be honest with you. Um, and again, I don't know. They might have a view up above the blue line the NHL does. They have, you know, obviously the ones on either side. Um, I, I think the thing that, I mean, I was obviously happy about it. I mean, I thought it was offside um, very, by a small margin, by a hair or less. I think the thing that, like, if you're a Jets fan, that really bites. And I guess if you're a Wild fan, now that we have the last laugh is humorous, is, I mean, it had no bearing on the way that play was going to finish. No, <laughs> You know what I mean? And I think no. it's a good lesson for young hockey players just make sure that you're tagging up on that play. If you know that you've got a guy who's got a wide open shot at the cage there. Um, Cause I mean, that could completely change the complexion of that hockey game and a game that was a high scoring game, Nick. And I, and I, um, you're welcome to continue your point. I kind of cut you off there um, as usual. Um, but I also kind of want to ask if you could follow up for me as well, too. There was a lot of talk about Cam Talbot not having the best night. I, I don't know that that game was on Cam Talbot. I think Cam not Talbot really. has kind of had a, a run of bad luck. Um, you know, like you mentioned, a couple of top bounces. I think Cam Talbot, for the most part, has looked all right in the Minnesota Wild uniform this year. You can't look at a goaltender's performance system really at the stat line. You just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually have to watch the plays. And because and, as as hockey fans know this, and if you watch enough, uh, hockey sometimes is a game of really funny bounces. It just happens that like way. Like the Jewel Erickson Eck goal. Exactly. So, and if you're really, I mean, and the opposite, if you're going to throw that on Connor Hellebuck, I get the heck out of the room, honestly. That was, yep. you know, what are you supposed to do about that? So, um, first goal by Connor, um, I believe it hits off was a Kulikovs or Merrill's stick. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't beat him short side, sure. But I, I think the way that he was tied up was to actually go outside on that 
and then just that little deflection, you mean changes the entire trajectory of the puck and yep. you're just not ready for it. So Matt, Matt uh, Zuccarello scored a similar goal in the second period too. Exactly. So, you know, I don't, again, you're right. This is not really indicative of Cam Talbot. Now, if he's taking straight shots with no traffic, no deflections, and let's say his rebound control where it's putting a straight back into the slot to create a second opportunity, um, or let's just say that, you know, it's a shot from the point that he should easily grab and hold on and he's given up, you know, a rebound in front of him. He's not controlling that kind of thing, right? That's a conversation where we can absolutely look at Cam Talib and say, he looks shaky. He's not tracking the puck. His rebound control is not there. Right. And this situation, a lot of what happened on Tuesday is just the way that sometimes the puck just has eyes and finds that little hole that you just, you're like, how the heck did that even happen, right? So yeah. a lot of deflections, I get a lot of moving pucks. Um, and again, Winnipeg's a team that likes to play in front of the net. They love to, you know, create traffic and love to take away the vision of the goaltender. Um, so not a lot for uh, Cam Talbot, I think, at least as a goaltender, um, to really put on him, obviously. Um, and, and the big thing is, as a goaltender, he made the save. We talked about this earlier when you need him to, right? That was that two-on-one in overtime. He does come across, get a nice push from his left to his right to make that save. And then more so have the, you know, um, ability to, uh, at other times to come out big. So um, at, at the end of the day, you know, it's not about sometimes the ways, well, it is about how you, how you save on it. That's going to be a terrible point. Um, but also, you know, sometimes if you're having games like that, where a puck just seems to be, you know, not going in straight, it's taking bounces. You just have to have those timely saves and he, you know, he got one when he needed to and the wild take advantage of a transition play in overtime and able to uh, help his third goaltender out. Yeah, the, the biggest mark of a goaltender that you kind of go back to is you ask him to make all the saves that he's supposed to make and you try to see if you can get one or two that he's not supposed to make. And that's kind of what it is. And when you have redirects and deflections and funny bounces, and then it's weird, you'll have some nights where, you know, you'll have a shooter who picks a corner. He's got half the net to shoot at and it goes off the knob of your stick and you find a bounce too. I mean, it goes both ways too um, for goaltenders as well. I think the thing that needs to be said is, you know, he's not, He's not the Swiss cheese in high danger situations that Devin Dubnik was. He's not, no. or, or giving up the leaky short side shot on the goal line that, you know, can be the dagger for Minnesota and credit this Minnesota group. Like you had mentioned, they're not the team that if something like that happens, they're going to roll over and we're three to two halfway through period. Number three is now a death sentence for this group, unless they get lucky. I mean, they're a group that, um, you know, high flying offense, they're able to hang with hockey teams. They're able to handle the two to one hockey games or three to one games. They're able to handle the six, five games, everything in between. Between this group um, I, has been able to uh, handle what has been thrown at them so far. Um, obviously, uh, another win for them against Anaheim last night, a great overtime win. Ryan Hartman continues to impress, I think, with his play. Marcus Foligno has been a tank. Um, Brandon, oh, D- the Spartan punch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you were witness wow. to that. That was Kevin, I did. That was Kevin Bieksa 2.0, if you will. I mean, that was, I mean, seriously akin to that. And, uh, you know, Brandon Duheim as well. He finally gets his first last night. I mean, the mixture of grit, speed, and skill for this group, I just, there's something about this team. And I, I don't know we say that every year, right? But there's something about this team that I think lends itself to, I, the locker room cohesiveness, I think finally we're starting to see that glue kind of mesh a little bit in that locker room. And that's something that with the, the old regime, as we would say, the Chuck Fletcher era, the old core, Mikhail Granlin, Charlie Coyle, Nino Niederreiter, Ryan Suter, Zach Breezy, maybe it was, maybe it was there and we made too much of a deal out of it. Maybe there was some disarray in that locker room. This group, I think finally is starting their own identity and it's kind of, um, you know, with Freddie Goudreau, I think Freddie Goudreau looked a little bit tough in the preseason. I think he's looked great in the regular season so far. Um, 
And I don't want to characterize the bottom six guys as an island of misfit toys, but I think they're a group that on paper, you look at them and you say, oh, there's no way this is going to happen. Or why is Marcus Foligno up on the second line tonight? And all of a sudden you see Marcus Foligno get a Gordie Howe hat trick or somewhere close to that and play fantastic hockey. This group is finding a way to take some slightly jagged misaligned puzzle pieces and turn them into a nice straight, pretty picture right now. Um, and it's paying dividends. And I think the defensive core, um, I think I'm looking for, if there's a guy I'm looking for a little bit more out of, I think it's Alex Goligoski just a little bit. I think he's got a little bit more in his game, uh, but that third pairing defensive core, Kulikov, Merrill still looking fantastic, I think as yeah. well. And that's exactly what they're doing, what they're supposed to do. Um, obviously at some point, I hate to break it to you, Minnesota fans. The Wild will lose a hockey game <laughs> during the regular season. It will happen. Um, I'm curious to see how they respond to that sort of adversity. Um, and I think that's going to be another test, another measuring stick about how this team can handle um, and bounce back. So, Yeah, no question. Uh, and then just kind of wrap up with the Wild here, Noah. Uh, yeah. You talk about you know, this team and their identity and, and Alex Goligoski, I think that's more just, you know, new team, new system, new lot, you know, new blue line. Made. It's only been four games. I mean, right. And what, and we talk about this, I think a lot, but you know, I'll just replace it, you know, in the national hockey, like at that level, you, you really, the chemistry part of it, especially as your D man partner is so important. Um, you really have to, and I should say he's got three assists and he's plus one in four games. So it's not like he hasn't done what, no. what, what filling the void of really Ryan Suter should be. So, right. Um, but to that point, right. You, you want you know, a guy of his caliber, again, Alex Goligoski to be able to have the confidence um, to be, you know, that fourth, you know, offenseman, that's kind of what he brings. Uh, I think as part of that two way forwardness, but again, you have to be able to trust your partner. He's going to cover for you. Right. So you, I think uh, that they're just trying to figure each other out. And at some point, you know, at that level, what you want is you literally can close your eyes and then, you know, almost like in a zone entry and you could just think and feel where your partner's at. And without even looking, it's either a drop pass or a pass to the opposite side. That's the kind of confidence you have to have in your other partner on the, on your, on your, right. on your pairing. Um, and right now they're still trying to build that. So, and I think it'll be fine, honestly. Um, mm -hmm. But as you mentioned, Kulikov and Merrill, they've been solid as far as a third pairing defenseman is again, you know, they are where the other shut down these and really not going to, you know, get you much on the scoreboard. Um, although they've been, you know, still pivotal in terms of the transition game. I thought I, I liked what I saw with them on Tuesday. I'm um, again, live and, and in person, um, but even more so um, you talk about Freddie Goudreau. I, I agree. He's, he's been really, really good as a spark plug, especially that second slash third line. Though he's been kind of moved up and down, but even Victor Rass has looked all right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Victor Rask. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mentioned his name <laughs> and um, you know, you've seen with Dean Evison too uh, with Victor Rask, you know, I, I think he did this in the preseason. I've seen it. I thought I saw this a little bit on Tuesday where uh, Victor Rask sometimes would come out with Kaprizov and, and Zuccarello just to get a little bit of a different look. Again, they're comfortable with each other. It's not the, you know, ideal pairing on paper for sure offense, but sometimes, you know, it, it's, you know, if you're just trying to change momentum for a shift or two, it's, that's what I like about Dina and going back to my final piece before I kick it back over to you. Yeah. Um, I, you know, part of the identity of this team, I think really comes from Dean Evison and his leadership. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of a mixture, a good mixture of a player's coach, but also a guy that's like, you're going to earn your spot. And, yeah. you know, he, he expects, you know, you know, this, you know, you to bring your, what he, what you're best at every single night. So at the end of the day, I think there's a really good um, just attitude in that locker room as well uh, from the coaching staff. And I think that's, you know, 
when you have, you know, everybody on the same page, it just, you know, it, it just naturally breeds success. And um, you just kind of hope that, you know, it continues to go forward. And yeah, four knows a good start. Um, like you said, they will lose a hockey game at some point. I kind of want to see it sooner or later, just to kind of, again, just get it out of the way. Um, uh, they're playing tonight. Yeah. So, you know, they'll have an, <laughs> we'll have an opportunity to maybe go five and no or four and no, but again, in, in the central division, um, you know, every point matters and uh, you know, the, the wild are definitely uh, having a good first couple steps here early in this uh, 82 game, you know, gauntlet of a season. Yeah. I think uh, the phrase that I kind of go back to is in Bill Gear and we trust. And the reason I say that is just simply because when you think about the third pairing, I think there were some question marks, Dmitry Gulikov, really, or John Merrill, really, or I guess Jordy Ben, really, which Jordy Ben's been in the press box. But I think you're starting to see a little bit of the game plan. And granted, it's a four game sample size. You never know. They could totally implode, um, you know, in the next four games, obviously. But, you know, I, I don't think people realize and not so much on the forward side. I mean, obviously, it's important, but having a good reliable third pairing or a good third pairing defenseman is huge. I think back to the time where Nate Prosser was the guy that really solidified that third pairing for the Minnesota wild um, for a long time. And, you know, that's kind of what you need. And I'm trying to pull up here. If I'm pulling up the stats, there's one more guy that I really wanted to ask you about Nick. Um, You might've heard of him. Um, He's got five, he's got five points um, in four games. He's got no goals and five assists. Um, Some Russian kid, um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious. Uh, he got signed to some big contract and I'm curious through the first four games. Uh, how, how have you been impressed with this, this, this certain guy? You know, I, I know that fans want to see him get on the score sheet and there's no question we do too, but you know, so, you know, the thing about any player you've, if you're not contributing one way, you got to contribute in another way. Right. And so yeah. that means, you know, he's passing um, and he's, you know, getting other, I mean, his, Last year too, there were some beautiful setups and beautiful reads that he had through traffic. Um, again, just with the, the way he controls the puck, the way that he opens his edge, especially on his forehand side. Mm-hmm. Um, he's fun to watch, even you know, just trying to find an open man. So he's been impressive. Um, there's no question that you know that sophomore slump, right? No, it's there's two ways you can look at that, right? No one that is. You know, is it the player or is it that the teams now that you're facing have a year's worth of film on you? And now it's, you know, can they adjust? Right. Yeah. And I think and, and, certain- and the man still has he's over a point per game player still right now. You know, yes. I mean, <laughs> yes. So uh, I think for Kaprizov, you know, again, he, I like what I've seen. Eventually, he'll he'll get one in the back of the net. So there's no question about that. I have confidence in the kid. Um, but more so, again, he's finding other ways to contribute. And that means that he's got to, you know, be the setup man. Sometimes he's fine with that. You know, and if anything, he's not, if if this shows us one thing about Kaprizov, it shows that he's truly not a one trick pony, right? You know, you go back to some other, maybe some offensive players. um, What's all this throwing out Austin Matthews a little bit. He was a pure goal scorer, but um, you know, as far as, you know, maybe finding the open man, not necessarily the greatest passer, you know, sometimes it makes some goofy decisions. You don't see that with Kaprizov. He's a very smart, very high uh, hockey IQ type player. So, you know, if you're not going to, you know, put one in the back of the net, you know, if you can certainly find open space or create, I think that's the one big thing that he does so well is create um, himself open space, but also creates uh, those for others on his line when he's out there. Um, If he's going to be the primary, the secondary assist, then, Hey, you're still putting points up. You're still contributing to team success. And they, you know, you, it's not zeros. So that's better than nothing. Yeah. And setting up a guy like Matt Zuccarello, who we didn't know what that contract was going to look like a couple of years ago. And I think the oh, boy. infusion of Kirill Kaprizov has really turned what could be a, a gross aging contract into, I mean, he's a team leader in points with six right now. I, uh, a couple of things that I kind of want to point out too, Nick, uh, Nico Sturm, 73.8 
percent on faceoffs. I uh, wow. and, how, and how about uh, Jewel Erickson X sixty point two six percent right now on faceoff. A couple of the other ones not looking so great. I guess Freddie Goudreau is under fifty percent. Victor Rask uh, is at thirty one percent. That's tough, but obviously when you're limited faceoffs, um, you know that plays a plays a factor in it. Marcus Molino is hundred percent, um, and I'm sure and I'm sure he'll sustain his sixty six point seven percent shooting percentage. I'm almost sure. confident, almost confident of it, right? Um, but yeah, this team up and down the lineup. Uh, I, when you mentioned uh, Matt Dumbo, by the way, uh, he's got three assists on the season. Nick, uh, through four hockey games, uh, he's actually the team leader in shots. How many do you think he has this year through four games? He, he attempts quite a bit. 31. Not that many. But <laughs> temper your expert. Now now my point looks terrible, Nick. Um, but he has, right. he, he has 18 shots from the back end, and he's the team leader in shots, which is... I actually was going to say 20, but I was like, eh, you asked, so maybe... <laughs> so I, I, I misread your enthusiasm, let's put it that way. Yeah, well, sh- you know how excited I get on this show. It's a great time. Um, but I, I think when you talk about a guy like him, Brandon Duheim has 14 shots. Yeah. How about that? Ryan Hartman has 14 shots. You know, these are things that uh, they have more shots than Matt Zuccarello, Kirill Caprizov. I mean, obviously part of that might be line matchup. We might have a great bottom six that's starting to roll over some of these other teams as well. But, um, you know, that just bodes well when your bottom six, those underlying statistics, people talk about, oh, well, you know, Nico Sturm, you know, he's only going to get 10 points this year. He's only going to get five goals or something like that. Look yes. at what he, look at what he does. If he's generating shot attempts, if he's in the offensive zone, if he has a lot of offensive zone puck possession time, winning if he's, draws. Yeah, if he's winning draws, if he's in the plus column and plus minus, he's doing the things that he needs to do relative to his role. And I think that's the biggest thing with the Minnesota Wild that we saw all the way back in 2014 when they've got past the first round against the Colorado Avalanche. They had resiliency, they had no quit, and they had Cody McCormick as their fourth line freaking center man, and he was one of the best fourth line centers because he played his role and knew exactly what he was supposed to be doing. I was so upset when they didn't bring him back. Honestly, yeah. I thought that he was such a, you know, a big piece of them making those runs. And I really thought that if they could get him to a, even just a one year extension, um, that he would be just dynamite for that hockey club. But I'm trying to remember, he, I think he signed somewhere else. I'm trying to remember exactly where. Well, he was in um, Buffalo for a while. I mean, I mean, how do you, how do you not like a guy who's named after a, a pepper shaker brand? Come on now. <laughs> anyway, um, but, but, but nonetheless, I mean, the Minnesota Wild group, uh, definitely tune in for a game or two on TV. If anything, they're a good hockey team. They're fun to watch. Uh, Nick, I see you pulling some stuff up. Are you looking up some stats here? Some, uh, so, I'm trying to remember their matchup tonight because I do play tonight. It was a back-to-back. Yeah, I suppose um, I suppose I could have looked that up for you, huh? And it is uh, is it Nashville? Uh, let me. Yeah, look. Nashville. Yeah. Yep. And Nashville coming off of a six to four loss last night against Winnipeg too. So there's a comparable for you, but nonetheless, the NHL one the and NHL. four. How about yeah, the San Jose Sharks? They they were four and zero. Buffalo finally lost. Um, Montreal was zero and four. scoring against his former team. Um, we had some weird things going on in the hockey world, and I love it. I love every bit of it. <laughs> but again, it's early, right? So, you know, yeah. do, do those trends continue, right? I, San I Jose is winning the cup. Nick, shut up. I know. I wouldn't know what we're talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I'm very curious on San Jose 
only because, you know, they've got some core pieces that have always been there. Uh, Logan Couture. Um, obviously, you've got Brent Burns in the back end. Um, how, how does, Eric Carlson, know, man. Come how on. does Eric Carlson, right? <laughs> but, you know, for them to be successful, he's got to return to his old form like he was in Ottawa. I'm not sure we're ever going to see that side of him again because he just he, he's just broken glass glued together. I mean, I actually feel bad for the kid, honestly. Um, but, you know, they're going to be – there ha- they'll have to be, you know, drivers of the ship if they're going to have to get back there. And again, uh, for San Jose, you know, and it's weird that we talked about the Vander Kane earlier. Um, you know, he was one of their best offensive point producers and he's out for 21 games because of, again, of that suspension. And so far, again, early hasn't really affected him that much. So um, if you want to run through, I, to start the season, a uh, four to three win over Winnipeg for the San Jose Sharks, five to nothing ass kicking <laughs> against the Canadians on home ice for Montreal, uh, two to one win against Ottawa. Um, and then a five to three win that we saw the other night against the Toronto Maple Leafs on Friday. And I think, uh, they played tonight. They've got the Bruins. They're actually in uh, TD garden there. So, um, Making that East coast swing. Yep. Yeah. Have, have to see if that uh, trend will continue, but uh, I suppose for sharks fans and, uh, also, uh, Buffalo fans until they got beat by the Bruins, uh, last night, I, they were sitting a lot prettier maybe than they had expected. And if you're a Montreal fan on the opposite side, you're asking a lot of questions. I mean, that's just the way preseason. That, uh, that Kaka Kanyemi uh, getting pulled. <laughs> now, it, it obviously one player doesn't, um, you know, doesn't tell you though, you know, what the franchise is or where it's at. It's not going to a huge lever, but it, it is maybe the, is it, you know, the final brick, you know, per se that says, something was about to change with this franchise. And, you know, I don't want to say because you, every team in the league earns a right to play for the Stanley cup. There's no question about that. Um, but what I, I also think it's fair to say what the way that Montreal was winning was defensively, they really weren't outscoring a lot of their opponents. They were frustrating a lot of their points. They were actually playing some of the best neutral zone pressure hockey from Ford's backtrack. I've seen quite some time. Right. Um, that isn't the case so far this year. So how do you fix that? Huh. I'm not sure what the answer is, um, but I do know for, uh, you know, the so-called hockey capital Mecca that is Montreal, whatever the answer is, has to be figured out quick or else uh, there could be some heads rolling. It, it, was an, Mark it, Bergevin. it was an interesting comment to from Mark Bergevin saying, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about changing anything. And who knows? I mean, this well, Montreal- if it wouldn't be him that's changing. It'd be the Molsons. That'd be him that's changed. So, yeah, I know. And it, I mean, I don't know. I mean, and that's, and then again, that's the GM is going to say that no matter what. Yeah. I mean, and, what's he, what's he supposed to say? And we've seen teams with tough starts. I think Montreal is kind of the team that does this, right? They either go on a really crappy run to start the season or they go eight and one, and then they lose their next 10. And it's just like, they have this weird fluctuation. Um, See, it, that's why he's not worried. He's like, yeah, we'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. They'll probably win the cup this year. Honestly. I mean, that's just, <laughs> right. This is how it works. Right. Real quickly, since you mentioned the Toronto Maple Lass, um, oh boy, um, you know, you talk about a fan base that is on eggshells, the team that's walking on eggshells, um, you know, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs themselves. Again, it's funny that, you know, we're what, five, maybe six games into the season, depending on who else, who's played, maybe four. And yet there's already like this, you know, pandemonium sense of just pressure for the Maple Leafs to, to perform. Um I actually kind of think this is going to actually be good for the Maple Leafs, honestly. Um, yeah, pro- provided they come out of it okay, right? But I, I mean, think they will. I mean, I mean, they're two, three, and one. Like, chillax, man. Yeah, I think, you know, and and, that, and that's when the opposite for them. They've come out the last couple of regular season. They've steamrolled people. Then 
of course the first round uh you know a dumpster fire comes looking and says yeah. hey come back in here come on All, let's, although let's although i didn't pay attention to their game last night uh is that what you're referring to did you see yeah. the score last night seven to one loss oh, against pittsburgh how about pittsburgh by the way a team that whoa three oh and two without crosby without malkin uh with a bevy of injuries and kind of a depleted core from what they had during their cup runs essentially um Hockey's they look good. A, hockey's a funny game, man. <laughs> you know, and that's when you you look at the the teams that you know. And I think that it's it goes to coaching. You know, if you can play by committee, and if you can, you know, it, it, that's to structure. That's to coaching, right? If you have arguably some of the best centers in the world, Crosby, Malkin, out of your lineup, and um, you know, you can still you know, can't take your older brother out from uh, above the, uh, the Ontario line and, you know, give him you know, beat the living, you know, what out of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> holy buckets. Um, I bet Sheldon Keefe and uh, Kyle Dupas had a, had a nice talk after that one, I'm sure. But <laughs> I, I just want you to know, I, I take great satisfaction in opening up my Google browser and typing in Chicago Blackhawks and seeing seventh and central pop up in an 4 and one record uh, behind oh, that. Oh boy. I'm okay that- with that. And that's, I think, kind of been a surprise a little bit. I think, you know, at and least I... Got, and they've gotten, uh, like, uh, sorry to cut you off there, Nick, but, like, they've gotten their ass kicked, man. I mean, the Devils game was close, the 4-3 to three game, but, right, they lose 5-2 to two to Pittsburgh. They lose 4-1 to one to the Islanders. They lose 4-1 to one to the Canucks. They got the Red Wings tonight. I mean, it's just... Yeah. Well, in the 5-2 loss um, uh, to Pittsburgh, they gave up three or four goals in the first 12 minutes of the hockey game. I mean, it was ugly. Um, so it's, it's been poor starts for Chicago. And, you know, I think at least I thought, you know, with the addition of Seth Jones with Mark Andre Fleury that, you know, these are, you know, swapping in out pieces that made them successful. I really thought we'd see a resurgence from them, especially with Jonathan Taves coming back. But yeah, again, you know, the sentiment we keep repeating, it is still early. You know, will they figure it out? Well, again, they're going to have to. Um, I still think there's more in the tank for Chicago. Um, I think a lot of it is just trying to figure, um, some of the, you know, new face in the roster, just maybe figure some things out. Um, yeah. but at the end of it, I'm, I'm not that worried about Chicago. Now, again, you, you, you know, these are some of the games that you look back on the end of the season. If you're in one place or another, and you can you know, circle these and say, crap, you know, this, this stretch or whatnot, yeah. you know, maybe hurt us the most, but, um, I am still, I'm not going to write off Chicago just yet. I really, I really can't. Mark Randy Fleury is a very prideful human being. Um, I still think a lot of the, a lot of the a goaltender successes, you know, hockey fans know um, relies on, you know, especially the, the, the people in front of them. And I think there, there's a lot of still figuring stuff out too with that club. And if they figure it out quick enough, um, watch out. Cause I think that they still have um, a lot of great uh, players that can put the puck in the net with caves uh, with Taves, Kane. And then of course, Alex to bring it um, Kirby dog being back in the lineup. So that you've got some players there that, that can do it, but certainly defensive woes have hampered Chicago for their first, uh, you know, few games of their season. Nick, like I tell people all the time, man, simple game, small biscuit, big basket, not that hard. <laughs> you make it sound so easy. Even a caveman can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Are we good? You remember those commercials? Oh man, those commercials were amazing. Even worse. They tried to make a, like a reality show off of it and it just flopped. So you remember I, that? Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we know Brett Larson wouldn't be in it. He didn't have the hair for it, but anyway. Um, oh boy. Nonetheless, speaking oh, of boy. guests, Brett Larson, a five-time guest, on the show. He's not coming this week, but we're working on, I think some men's hockey players are trying to get that squared away for this week. Uh, Apologies. We did not have a guest last week, kind of a weird scheduling week for us. Uh, Just things did not work out as far as uh, schedules for the teams and other things as far as that was concerned. But Nick, I think that's going to do it uh, for episode number 84 for Nick Max and I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the day.
Bomber. Come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill, the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.